In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Nackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. On the last episode of Notably Disney, you heard Disney author and historian Jim Fanning join me as we discussed our favorite live-action Disney songs. Now, this was no easy list, folks. Oh, no. We spent many hours assembling our picks, and in the first part, you heard five of them from each of us, as well as some honorable mentions, but we have five more each to share. So I invite you to sit back, relax, and hear our selections for our favorite live action Disney songs. I too have a Pete's Dragon song on my list, and it's neither of those two. Oh. They're both worthy. So it's not Razzle Dazzle Day, and it's not Candle on the Water. So what is your Pete's Dragon song? (laughs) There's room for everyone. And I just love there's room for everyone it is so moving and so relevant if you will i don't even really like the word relevant but (laughs) it fits for today's world where so many are trying to be inclusive but so many seem to be against that idea for some baffling reason so this is a response to that and it starts with the idea that people are saying Pete's Dragon Elliot doesn't exist. So we we we're we're scoffing at the idea. We're not even allowing it. So right off the bat, it's about having an open mind. And I was actually confused the first time I saw the film because I was like, well, now wait a minute. Does Nora believe that there really is an Elliot or doesn't she? And I think they were trying to play with that idea. But um, whatever, whether she does or not, she knows that Pete does, and that's what's important. So she's just saying there's no reason to leave Elliot out. There's there's room for him. And then then the song widens and expands, which fits right in with the song, to the whole idea of everyone. 
there's there's room for everyone and she she says from an ant to a bird to a buffalo herd let them walk and fly and roam step aside let them live it's simple to give like us they just need a home that's so in the disney tradition <laughs> and then the poetry uh it it just goes on this idea the song that was started about a dragon who may or may may or may not exist the audience does he does but nobody else besides pete is sure just think how far out the ocean goes the whirling wind blows shore to shore door to door think of the valleys and mountaintops the earth never stops so deep and so high with miles of sky we all have part of the pie so how can anyone argue with that it's it's just so inspiring and then of course the end which people need to really stop and think about this especially since so much hatred and prejudice and shutting people that are different out seems to be rooted in religious beliefs for some obscene blasphemous reasons i don't that i do not understand the song ends, so let's all make sure we give everyone somewhere to stand, just the way God planned it, just the way God planned. So I find that incredibly moving. And who would expect that in the middle of this film? <laughs> who would expect something so profound? So I love that in, in a song that starts as one thing and then it takes you by surprise. It builds into something that really gives you pause, you know, gives you pause for thought. I'm not sure if I have anything to add to that because I think you captured it all. Um, yeah, there's such a such an overwhelmingly encouraging sentiment to it and and timely as you're indicating too. And again, Helen Reddy shines in, in that space as well. Um, yeah, it's it's so funny. I I can't remember if I mentioned this when we had talked about Brazzle Dazzle Day a few years ago, but I can't say I'm a huge fan of Pete's Dragon as a film for various reasons, but I adore the music. Particularly, uh, my issues with the film are more related to don't love the some of the subplots and the villains and and that stuff. But that was more I think rooted in how Disney comedy was in certain ways at the time. But the music itself is just so captivating and and transcends time. So I think that was really wonderfully framed. Well, saying the word transcends, is, is, that's a perfect word. The music transcends the film, in fact. <laughs> but the good, the good things about the film are all, all in the songs we've mentioned. And Helen Reddy, who is sort of, I mean, it's kind of easy to dismiss her, but you're not, if you do, you're not really paying attention. But she, one thing that she has sort of innately is a strength. She has a, a just an inborn strength to her. And in There's Room for Everyone, she stands firm. She's just speaking truth. And anybody that disagrees with this is wrong. <laughs> and I think that's absolutely true. If, if, you're, if you're shutting people out because they're different, 
then there's just something wrong with the way you're thinking and you need to you need to stop and think about that and that's kind of what she says and her strain comes through as it does in other parts of the film as well and other songs but here it definitely does she's she's just taking a stand firm and she's just saying how obvious why would anyone think otherwise this is the way god planned it so how can how can anybody argue <laughs> i'll try to make a segue with this next one even though it's quite a stretch but in terms of things that should be obvious the lyrics in the song this next song on my list illustrate how certain things are just a given and all I'll say is that's how you know from Enchanted. The lyrics illustrate the notion of uh, little gestures and moments and things that individuals do that indicate that's how you know that you love her or him or whoever. And this is sung by Amy Adams and Enchanted. It's the big musical number nominated for an Oscar. At the Oscars, it was sung by Kristen Chenoweth, who is delightful. Very different from Amy Adams, who sung Happy Working Song, which was also nominated for an Oscar. Um, but this was the huge production number um, set in Central Park, and Giselle is singing to Robert. She's kind of, well, uh, she's uh, just wondering, well, why hasn't he proposed to Nancy, who's Adina Menzel? Obviously, anybody should propose to her. She's amazing. Um, but what's so funny about the song is not only are there tons of nods to different elements in the Disney library, there's a reference to the sound of music when she's twirling on a huge piece of grass uh, in the field. Um, there's a lot of different styles of music in this. Um, there's some reggae. Um, there's some pop, mariachi. Um, it's kind of a hodgepodge of music. Um, but it really captures the delightfulness of love and and loving people in the community, which I think is kind of in the same spirit of there's you know room here for everybody. One because she's ultimately enlisting folks from a variety of different uh, professions and ways of life, um, cultivating that in New York City, um, and and that's what you know New York City is. It's a melting pot of of culture and experience and she just brings this effervescence to the community. Um, so this is Al Minken, of course, with the music, and then uh, Stephen Schwartz, um, who you know worked together on Hunchback and Pocahontas. And um, great team. Uh, love how other voices chime in. It's not solely Amy Adams as Giselle. There's a great little moment in the film version where James Marsden's Edward pops in and he, he sees her and then he starts singing True Love's Kiss, but then he's like trampled by bicyclists, which is totally New York. But um, yeah, it's not enough to take the one you love for granted. You must remind her or she'll be inclined to say, how do I know he loves me? How do I know he's mine? There you go. That's how you know. Beautiful. Well, first of all, I loved your segue. <laughs> and yes, I great great song in a, in, a, in a live action movie that has songs so Alan thank goodness for Alan Menken right seriously and we'll have Disenchanted later this year so hopefully that has some great new tunes yeah certainly the opportunities there it's so do you do you I don't know myself is Alan Menken has he written new songs and is it Stephen Schwartz also? yes oh how great 
oh, well, then I expect great things from the songs at least. Yeah, I, I was going to say it's probably hard to create a sequel to such a great movie that plays off of a ton of different Disney themes, but I, I have confidence in it because the project's been in development for so long that they probably just needed to get the right um, the right formula. So, A great, great choice. Okay. What's next for you? Well, I'm trying to think which of the, the remaining ones on my list would be best to go with. It's so hard to say. Um, there are mostly Sherman Brothers songs left. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to move to Mary Poppins because that is an obvious choice of a film, at least. In fact, I'm sure neither one of us have left it off um, because it is the, not only the Disney, not only the Disney musical, but the movie musical period, certainly up there with the great originals. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes people say, yeah, it's almost as good as Singing in the Rain. Well, Singing in the Rain's not an original. Those songs all came from something else. <laughs> oh, is it's almost as good as My Fair Lady. My Fair Lady's not an original movie musical. That was a Broadway show. This <laughs> is pure originality. Obviously, the, the, the Mary Poppins stories by P.L. Travers existed. But all these songs are complete originals. And that's exactly how, that is exactly how every single one of them plays. They are like nothing that has come before. So how do you choose? I mean, Feed the Birds is a runner up, isn't it? Um, if you can even say that ever about Feed the Birds. <laughs> well, you know, Walt Disney's favorite beautiful song that just takes us to a different place in the movie. How can you leave out Chim Chim Cheree, which is so unique and an Oscar winner. But I chose A Spoonful of Sugar. And mainly, aside from being another great, undeniably fantastic song, because of the way it works in the movie as the signature song of Mary Poppins. And it's, as some people may know, it sprang out of Julie Andrews' own reaction to the character and the songs that had already been written. And the Shermans had written a ballad as her signature song, Through the Eyes of Love. And she felt that and it really says something about Julie Andrews that she walked in the door and said, oh, I see, but something's missing. <laughs> she felt that that song was too direct and that Mary Poppins would not say something directly. Absolutely correct. And also so it needed something with a bit more of a snap. <laughs> so they went back to the drawing board and came up with this unique, strong, rollicking, perfect, and indirect <laughs> expression of who Mary Poppins is. And I do have to say that as a movie musical, it's the structure of the film is absolutely perfect because we don't even, aside from a glimpse of her at the very beginning of the film during the titles, we don't see Mary Poppins for quite some time. We do see Jane and Michael who write 
who write an ad, their song, A Perfect Nanny. And they seem quite defeated because their father rejects it. But it's very important. Jane and Michael really are, in a sense, the main characters. They, they express what they would want in a nanny. Mr. Banks is oblivious to the problems in his own household. He thinks everything's fine. He thinks the life I lead is absolutely perfect. And he's wrong. <laughs> he doesn't even listen when his wife says that the children are missing. Splendid, splendid. <laughs> and Mrs. Banks is oblivious in her own way. She has the really fun song, a song of Sister Suffragette. Um, which, of course, is just one of those great musical comedy songs that just, is just absolutely delightful. But it shows that she herself is sort of out of touch uh, with, with what's going on in her, in her own life, in her own head. And when she has the banners that say vote, votes for women, and then it's time for her husband to come home. She says, oh, let's hide these banners. You know how the cause infuriates Mr. Banks. <laughs> so musically, these characters have their own songs, but they're all a little off kilter, not the songs themselves, I mean the characters. When Mary Poppins arrives, she instantly takes charge, effortlessly so. And when she's about to start singing A Spoonful of Sugar, it's as if the movie holds its breath. Part of that is the direction. Part of it is Julie Andrews' own fantastic performance. Part of it is the orchestration, magnificent, by Erwin Costell. And when she starts the, the prologue, which is actually the, the first verse, I guess you would say, in every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. The movie holds its breath. And now it is taken to a whole different level of fantastic magic, enchantment, like you've never seen before. And this character, she just takes charge. It's, it's, the, it's the time of truth. And indeed, she doesn't say anything directly. Musically, the Shermans... They thought, oh, well, this will be great because when, when we say a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, when we say down, the song will go up because that's what Mary Poppins would do. It's that thought through. So it's a powerful statement of the whole idea of the film and the whole idea of this character that just comes in and instantly is in charge. Nobody else can even touch her because nobody else even knows who they are or what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see how how that fits and the notion of you know the characters all being a bit off kilter and 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 I love how you pointed out. And I've heard the story too in terms of the notion of you know the medicine going down and then you know the it rising up and how it being so counterintuitive and very reflective of the spirit of Mary Poppins and I think I'm glad you uh, made that point very salient. Um, I, I love the song too. Uh, my pick is Mary uh, is also from my next pick is from Mary Poppins. Didn't go with Spoonful Sugar, although kind of like a Happiest Millionaire selection. You can't go wrong. I did feel the beat 
feed the birds, tuppence a bag, which I think is very much uh, the antithesis of a lot of the film, which is more positive and upbeat in tone, but really highlights just um, an element of sadness and, and the notion of, well, I mean, I guess it maybe falls under the category of just giving um, and, you know, there's room here for everyone, right? It, this notion of like, you know, give someone, um, come feed the little birds, show them you care and you'll be glad if you do. Um, it's a, just a very touching scene. We all know that this was considered Walt's favorite song didn't get an Oscar nomination, but well, when you're one of a million Mary Poppins songs, I guess all of them can't get the attention that they deserve. I love the pe the part of the song when the organs play and that kind of illustrates the notion of being surrounded by um, St. Paul's Cathedral. Instrumental versions of the song present themselves at different points in the film. Um, there's a striking moment when you just see the silhouette of Mr. Banks at night walking down that promenade. I've heard the story with um, Richard Sherman talking about at the dedication, I think it was the, de the dedication of the partner statue and the bird flew down on the piano um, when uh, when he was playing Feed the Birds. It's just a, it's a delightful song, even though it's not, even though it doesn't have a delightful sound to it because it is so melancholy in, in many ways, but delightful from the notion of that it, it has such resonance and is is so powerful. So that's uh, my rationale. Well, as I said earlier, I, I mean, in a way, how can how can you leave it off of a list? It's a struggle. Um, to I mean, it is one of the absolute greats, and the fact that it was Walt's favorite speaks volumes. But again, in the in the musical storytelling of the film you hit you definitely hit upon it that it's so different now suddenly something else is happening again mary poppins everything she does is so unexpected okay now well into the film we know what to expect from her even though it's the unexpected well no you don't because who saw this coming who saw this coming and i I, I have read reviews of, there was a very perceptive review in the Washington Post uh, for the 1973 re-release, where they pointed out that this song just brings you up short and takes you to a, another level. And, that's, and then let's think about what happens next. Mary Poppins herself disappears from the film for a long stretch now because she has put this idea into the children's head through this song that they're going to the bank mr banks thinks that he's taking the children to the bank but they're they're off in a different direction they're thinking about he's thinking about depositing tuppence in the bank they're thinking about spending the tuppence to care for someone else so it's brilliant and you could have that song and it could just be the song and that would have been enough because the song is fantastic and who who could perform it better than julie andrews no one the answer yeah. is no one <laughs> yeah but let's get helen ready on the phone oh wait <laughs> 
but it but in the in the brilliant storytelling of the film it's more than that it is more than that it takes you to a completely different place and everything is deepened and and, and enriched and enhanced and you just you just do not know what's going to happen next what is going what is happening here so how absolutely brilliant aside from it just being a gorgeous song yeah absolutely um, yeah i have such a fondness for spinful sugar too but i'm glad we have both of these uh we're down to our final three picks jim what is uh on your list next well i'm trying to think how to play these last three they all don't need a segue it's fine <laughs> just <laughs> no. it turned out that way that's true but i'm trying to leave maybe like the stronger of the three is last, but I think I will go with On the Front Porch from Summer Magic, which kind of fits in with Feed the Birds in its tone. It's it's a slower, more reflective song. It's a simple song, but not in a negative sense. It's beautiful in simplicities and what could be more simple and more beautiful and more kind of getting to your, yourself in touch with what's real and good than on the front porch. Just the simple experience of sitting on the front porch, rocking in your rocker and looking at the beauty around you. The Sherman brothers were often asked what was their favorite song. Richard Sherman always says you can't choose because it's like picking one of your favorite children. And they wrote so many great songs. How could you choose? That's I'm saying that. But Robert Sherman always said it was on the front porch. He just loved that the that beautiful idea. And again, very reflective of Walt Disney himself. Walt was so in touch with these simple things about life that if we go too fast, we can overlook them. So it, it's such a direct and beautifully put song that there isn't much left to say about it. It's just perfect in itself, very gentle, very good. But the more kind of the more you hear it, the more maybe that you sing it, the more you get it. We long for this simplicity in our crazy lives. And it, rem it reminds us to slow down and reflect on what's important. So, yeah, there's that gentle quality to it. And Burl Lives had such a powerful, familiar voice. So, um, yeah, I I do enjoy that too. It, it didn't present itself on my list, but I have thought of it. Um, I also thought of the Ugly Bug Ball, which is just really kooky and fun. Um, summer summer magic is another one all the songs are so delightful but yeah this one is a, a sort of on a different level i think but at any rate it's it's wonderful the ugly bug ball i would not have argued with <laughs> i wouldn't have, yeah I, I would imagine you'd be amenable to that um I'll, I'll try to thread my next one which is kind of like on the front porch there's a sense of reflectiveness to this next one but not necessarily longingness. It's more of reflect ref, reflexivity about who you are. And for this one, I went with Manor Muppet from the Muppets, which 
was an Oscar winner, one of the few Oscar winners that we've talked about on this list across both of ours. Um, it's clever and it's unexpected. Um, so this is sung by um, Jason Siegel, um, primarily, um, but we get a little bit of Jim Parsons making a cameo as the Muppet version of Walter, which I remember when I saw him appear on screen, I just hooted like it was like one, I mean, he was more traditionally known with uh, television, Big Bang Theory at that point, but just perfectly a uh, human version of Walter um, in so many ways. But it's all about, you know, one, questioning their identity. Are you a man or are you a Muppet? Um, and gosh, it, it got a lot of acclaim, which I'm glad because it was, it, it has this power ballad notion that is very reflective of like the 80s. There's the whole scene of the Muppet versions of the Muppet, there's Muppets, uh, there's a Muppet of Jason Siegel, there's Walter, um, and then, you know, you have the two humans and they're sitting in this like studio, white studio with the double white pianos and they're just playing it on the piano. Um, it's all about like, you know, what's my self worth? Um, and and then, you know, they just shout it in joy. I'm a Muppet or I'm a man. And it's just, it's, <laughs> it's joyous and it's smart. And it's uh, there's it's sophisticated, and um, yeah, there's just ridiculously clever. So uh, I, I love that. What a great choice! I I think I think it's excellent, and I think especially the way, which is exactly what you're talking about, the way it works in the film. Um, but you know, they it it crystallizes the whole idea they were going for with the Muppets. Um, I mean, I don't like the idea of a comeback for the Muppets that they didn't need a comeback, but it kind of is another dimension of the, of the Muppets, you know, a different way of looking at, it, which does fit in with the whole Muppet thing. Like you said earlier, you know, the breaking of the fourth wall and sometimes they acknowledge that they're actually puppets and, <laughs> you know, uh, so it, it fits in with that whole way of looking at things. So it's a great choice and an unusual choice. And I love that. Yeah, I felt like it was only fitting that we'd have one Muppet song officially on the list because this one was, you know, this was Disney's first um, oh. Muppet film upon acquiring the Muppets back in 2004. Um, and I love Muppets Most Wanted too, which has some great tunes, but that's not on this list. Okay, uh, what's uh, the ninth selection for you? Well, this is, I think, an unusual choice. Um, and we're probably going to need a whole episode just for this one subject. So you might end up doing a three-parter. Who knows? Okay, so yeah, I guess we'll have to get the, the two-minute version <laughs> for now. <laughs> and we can do a deep dive later. Because this, isn't, this is not a Sherman Brothers song. And it is from, and yes, I am going here, the Song of the South. <laughs> and it's sooner or later. Now, again, zippity doo dah is one of those givens. How can you not choose zippity doo dah? Obviously, the most famous song from the film, one of the most famous Disney songs ever. But all the songs in Song of the South are so good. And sooner or later is, is just an absolute delight. But I also think it fits in with the controversy re re regarding the film 
And I mean, even, even at one of my presentations, um, which was not about Song of the South, somebody asked me what I thought. Do you think it's racist? <laughs> well, talk about being put on the spot, right? But my answer is, I don't think it's racist, but maybe I'm not the one to say. So that's sort of my standard answer, because certainly if someone, you know, certainly if a person of color finds it offensive, I can't argue with that, but we could also break down what's there and look at certain elements of it. So sooner or later is sung by Hattie McDaniels, famous for winning an Oscar for her Mammy character in Gone with the Wind. And part of the discomfort with Song of the South is that it does seem to be cut from the same cloth as Gone with the Wind. Now, Gone with the Wind actively celebrates and longs for and romanticizes the era of slavery. It says it in the in the scrawl, the scroll at the beginning of the film. <laughs> it says slavery, that we miss this world of master and slave uh do we <laughs> so that's very overt i think song of the south try, did try to fit in with that genre as if that was a genre of film like there's westerns there's you know i don't know what um other types of films and there's a southern type film and it, even the title song of the south but i think as disney films do it transcends that i mean it's actually problematical because it is a disney film and disney films have a certain way of looking at everything they're just more upbeat and optimistic so some people are uncomfortable <laughs> with the fact that uncle remus seems content with his lot and so forth so there's a lot to unpack. But one reason, so to get back to Hattie McDaniels singing it, where else do you get to see her do this performance and all her many on-screen performances? Again, she's playing a mammy, uh, which she played quite a bit. So that's problematical in itself. However, that kind of, that kind of person did exist. And she's giving a real performance in a way she was not given the opportunity to in other films. This is a musical and she gets her own, her own number and delightful. It's a fantastic song. But in the whole Gone with the Wind controversy, uh, Turner Classic Movies uh, famously has given it an introduction now with Jacqueline Stewart. Who, are, who, are, who is herself a person of color and a brilliant film scholar and historian. I don't know if you've seen her present, Brett, but she's just wonderful and delightful and very fair and even-handed. She's not condemning things. Um, she's giving perspective. So one of the things that she and others on Turner Classic Movies, and there's also another gentleman whose name I unfortunately forget, who's just fantastic. They have spoken about things like blackface and all kinds of things. They have, they have said that one of, the, one of the problems with portrayals of African-Americans in films of that era is that they do not have a life apart from the white characters. But in this scene, 
that's not true. They are Uncle Remus and and the Hattie McDaniel's character are shown to have their own relationship, their own feelings about each other, their own way of looking at things apart from any of the white characters, even little Johnny played by Bobby Driscoll is not part of this. So they're given sort of their own life. And, and another element is that black characters were often neutered as if they wouldn't have their own romantic life or their opportunity to, you know, that was just not portrayed. Again, this Disney film of, of all kinds of, who would expect it in a Disney film, but we're, we're shown that in a Disney way, that they, they do have their own uh, romantic ideas and their own romantic relationships, if you wanted to look at it that way. So I think it has its own strength beyond the stereotype that this is a racist film that again makes me wish that people would look at it in a little more um, with a little more complexity than than just simply dismissing it. There's more to it than that, uh, including you know just the fact that the stories are so great. I know that the stories themselves are problematical because it was a white man's retelling of black fables but aside from that they do have their own their own great strengths and that of course was what walt disney was really retracted to so at any rate having said all that it's just a great song <laughs> well, i think that's all very well said i don't know if i can necessarily expand upon anything you shared uh, about the film and in regards to the song much like most people many people, I have not heard it in the context of the film. And, does, that and mean, does that mean you have not seen the film? I have not seen the film, no. And that would be true of most people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and hence, that probably could have been on your list for, for forgotten Disney songs as well for that very reason. Um, you have So it's interesting, if you haven't seen it, may I ask if you have a... a a feeling about the film is—is is it based on your own? I mean, impression of it, or—or or, I mean, what is your impression of the film? And since you haven't seen it, yeah, and I think that's where I don't know what I don't know, right? I've only right, seen the right. snippets, and and certain contextual elements may not make as much sense, right? Like we go on Splash Mountain, but we don't have the full perspective, and um, it's it's very it's frustrating that that a film that was ultimately you know that holds holds so much significance in the disney library remains you know uh remains hidden it remains vaulted and you know i think we all have the opportunity to interpret things for how they were produced in a time and place and ultimately the elements and i'm not going to necessarily be able to say anything that hasn't been said for from the perspective of someone who's not as well acquainted but what I will say is that my next pick was Zippity Doodah because of the significance that it holds in the Disney catalog. And again, I, I can't necessarily fully put it within the context of the film only through my readings of it. But what what is very notable about it is that it holds the same um, trend that we've seen in a few other songs on our list from Mary Poppins, from, um, from others where there's the notion of inventing words and the notion of satisfactual as a, as a perfect illustration of that. But it has a catchy 
1965. It's featured instrumentally across a variety of different spaces um, in physical Disney contexts, like at the parks. Um, and it won the Oscar, which you can't take that away from it. I mean, that was very notable. Um, it was uh, it surfaces in Splash, the Tom Hanks film. Um, he uh, his character um, sings it. Alan, of course, in Song of the South, it's by James Baskett. But yeah, it's a it's a wonderful piece of music. I, I wish I, I I wish I could say that I've listened to sooner or later, but I've not, so I can't comment on that. But I imagine, given the profound influence that Hattie McDaniel had um, in in Hollywood and um, and certainly in the history of African American black. Um, entertainers that it probably uh, is a, a beautiful piece of music. So that's my my song of the South thread that I wasn't necessarily anticipating, but I appreciate all the the historical perspective and commentary that you offer there. Well, thank you, Brad. I mean, it's just, I mean, you know, in a, in a way, I hesitate to say anything about it because it's not my place in a way, but um, I think it's important for everyone to think about these things and wonder why. And um, another thing that occurs to me about it is it's it's a context thing because unfortunately in the era in that era, the only way that African Americans were seen as aside from black cinema itself, which was not widely seen because those were independent films, mainstream Hollywood films portrayed black people in one way. Yeah, exactly. Servants, always at the best, sometimes enslaved people, but servants. And then, you know, within that, there were varying degrees of humiliating characters versus, you know, smart characters or what have you, intelligent characters. But Song of the South could have been more palatable if there was a wider range of performances in the first place, or not performances, but roles. But that's really all you saw. So that, you know, that makes it more problematical too. That was just another thought that occurred to me. But I, in terms of Zippity Doodah, I, I know you said you haven't seen the film, but certainly you've seen that segment. Right, of course. Right? Yeah. So you know you know what what what's going on there and how beautifully animated the beautiful performance by James Basket of the song and how joyful and upbeat wonderful it is it's just it's just great yeah and and we all know and some of us who are familiar with disney history also know that you know walt adored james basket and he was not because of the time he was not allowed in the oscars um in the academy awards which is um a shame and you know walt disney was definitely a proponent of, of his work there um but yeah it's a, it's a, if we are to separate the song the song from the film, it still stands alone as a as a joyous melody that ultimately does make people feel happy in many spaces, and and it's just it's very well written. Um, this was music by Ali Werbel, um, lyrics by Ray Gilbert, and they they actually um, or Gilbert he composed um, songs for the package films too, which were around that era. So yeah, just a connection there. I believe they did sooner or later as well. Yes, yeah. So, and I, I forgot to mention the composers, but the the interesting thing too is that Hattie McDaniel was the first African American to win an Oscar. 
James Basket right. did not get a competitive Oscar, but he was awarded an honorary one. So he was the first African-American male to be given an Oscar. So you can't, you can't overlook that. And it's because of that performance. That's what it was for. It was for the, the performance. Some people got the idea. Some people got the idea that Uncle Remus was a great storyteller and was a great, I mean, the character was, you know, had this great strength. Um, it's not the same thing as saying Uncle Tom. <laughs> and, there, you know, there's just no getting away from it. Uncle Remus as a name has gained this great, um, negative connotation, and I, I think again, it's more complex than that. It is, it's, it's simply more complex. And Walt Disney did give two black actors great roles to play in this movie, admittedly within a limited world, but the roles themselves are are really good. Interesting that yeah. we both, and only choosing two. I mean, 10 songs, we both chose one from Song of the South. Yeah. No, I think that was a, uh, no, that was very reflective. And last pick, we are at that time. So you said you're saving one of the stronger ones on your list for the very end. So let's, let's round it out. Strong, strong in my mind, because Bed Knobs and Broomsticks is definitely one of my absolute favorites and always needs to be celebrated because Mary Poppins doesn't need any help. <laughs> True. So I'm cheating because it's actually two songs in one. It's Eglin time. And again, all the songs are great. You, you had mentioned um, The Age of Not Believing. That certainly would have been a very strong contender and is probably the most famous song from the movie as the Oscar-nominated one, but Eglantine is just a great, great song and a great idea uh, that the, the whole concept of this con man realizing that this woman he's met that's so different from him, she's so prim and proper, but she can actually work magic real magic where he's just a complete fake <laughs> so he wants to team up with her so it's all it's it's an anti-love love song because he's not saying that he loves her he's saying let us strike a bargain you possess a gift but i can speak the jargon that can give your gift the needed lift you possess the know-how and i command the show how oh how successful you could be with me. And then the main refrain, I guess you would say, Eglantine, Eglantine, is, is not about romance or love. It's about a business deal. <laughs> Later, it's transformed into a love song. But it's all about commerce as the shine sells the boot and the blossoms the fruit. All you need to succeed in your plan. So it's very, very, very clever and very character specific. In the original book, which is quite different from the film as people would know, it's only just briefly mentioned in passing that Miss Price, she's always called Miss Price, 
that her first name is Eglantine. And you can just imagine Richard and Robert Sherman going, her name is Eglantine. Oh my gosh, we've got to use that. <laughs> Such a very British name. And even, even for the Brits, I think a very unique and uncommon name. <laughs> so it suggested a great song. But the real reason I would choose it is the portion of the song called Don't Let Me Down which is really almost a separate song. And this is another thing that had been cut out of the film. So again, if people don't know what I'm talking about, you can see it in the DVD. It's within the movie and the DVD and the restored version or as an extra on the Blu-ray. But this was Angela Lansbury's part portion of the song, Miss Price's response. So she's, she's finally had it with this guy. She needs him to help her in her, in her moral quest to, because, because she has a very noble uh, reason for pursuing the spell that is lost. So it's, it's almost the Sondheim-esque <laughs> uh, portion where she says, I have always had a bit of a knack for witchcraft, common spells and simple charms came naturally. So when the war began, I conjured up a plan to do my bit in the national emergency. I enrolled in your correspondence college of witchcraft and I slaved at every lesson as it came. But the spell I counted on is the lesson that is gone, it's disappeared and you're the one to blame. Now she really takes them on. Your suggestions are rash and your manner is brash and I've no time to waste, Mr. Brown. If I am to proceed, it's that book that I need. Don't let me down. So then fascinatingly, she says that she might discuss it with him, though I've no taste for playing the clown, if he helps her. So without that in the film, it loses some of its dimension. That that's one reason he continues to go along with her on her adventures is because she sort of said, well, help me and then maybe I'll help you. And it's just these very, very different characters coming together. So I, I just love the whole, I just love the whole thing. But of course, Angela Lansbury's part's going to be the best. And nothing she did should have ever been cut out of the film. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how Mrs. Potts would feel about that if she was just observing. <laughs> like she just popped over from France and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that film, yeah, has such a complex history and, and per what you're saying in terms of content being cut, because I can't say that Don't Let Me Down um, is familiar to me. So um, another one worth uh, re listening to really for the first time, I suppose. Yeah, thanks for that that history lesson there, Jim. I, I wouldn't expect anything less. And um, yeah, and it's just, you know, it's fun for us to think through these musicals of another era where there were just so many countless pieces of music and and many of them so many so strong right when they're talking about you know these Walt era musicals or bed knobs and broomstick obviously a bit later so i have i have one more but i don't but my last selection is is not an older song um it's actually a newer piece um and it's kind of in the vein of a speechless from aladdin because there was an original song in the 2017 being the beast uh, there were actually a couple of them um, and i really love evermore which is the beast song um, which 
has received some criticism because there are moments where the beast's singing voice kind of sounds auto-tuned. Uh, and, I, and I hear that argument, but I'll say that I think Dan Stevens gives a, a nice performance here. It's heartbreaking. It focuses on the sadness of losing the one that you care for. So it seems this is at the point in the film between the excuse me between the second and third acts when he frees Bell, um, and he's in his tower. It's at night. He's brooding. This was used in lieu of "If I Can't Love Her," which was from the Broadway musical, um, which was the Beast's signature song. But um, Alan Menken um, and Tim Rice didn't, uh, it, it, Alan Menken just didn't feel like it would be suitable. Um, and with Evermore, um, it's just, it's sweeping. Um, Josh Groban sing, sings the end credits version of it, um, which is a totally different vibe, as you could imagine. Um, but this didn't get an Oscar nomination either, um, which was a travesty, right? Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I have not been thrilled with the omissions of some Disney songs in, in recent years. Um, but nonetheless, uh, it's a beautiful piece. Um, the music swells as uh, Beast ascends the turret. And it, for me, it almost feels, even though it's a totally different tone, it always made me think of Out There from Hunchback, just based on a setting standpoint, even though the, the, t- even though the message is very different. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a big fan of Evermore. Now I know she'll never leave me, even as she runs away. She will still torment me, calm me, hurt me, move me, come what may. So, yeah, some great lyrics there for forevermore. Yeah, well, again, a great team. I mean, you cannot go wrong with Alan Menken, and Tim Rice seems like such a great partner for him. So, and it's kind of annoying to me that if people, if they, if they criticize a performance of a song for whatever reason, that's one thing, but what about the song itself? Right. That, that it's so great. And I always felt uh, with the animated film that that was its one drawback is that the beast needed his own song. Yeah. That was what was missing in an otherwise just absolutely great film. So the fact that the Broadway show gave him one and then they almost revisited the idea <laughs> and gave him another one is just terrific. Yeah, it's, I just, it, it bothers me that, you know, a song like Evermore, a song like Speechless, that they just, for, for whatever reasons, um, you know, didn't ascend to that level because I do think there is a certain significance behind getting an Academy Award nomination. And, and surprisingly too, you know, I, I, I still am very disappointed that I see the light from Tangled lost to We Belong Together from Toy Story 3. I'm a, I'm a huge Randy Newman fan. That is not one of his strongest songs, even though it's great. And to lose to the Alan Menken, um, Glenn Slater team, um, for, uh, yeah, it was Glenn Slater for Tangled. That was just a disappointment. So there's just yeah. some there's some oddities in, in terms of how Disney music is recognized at that level in, in this day. So that's a whole other side tangent. That might be a separate list. <laughs> yes, indeed. And I would just quickly add to that, that it's not like there's that many original songs. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, if, like you're talking about best actor or something, well, there's so many performances that could be nominated. There's just not that many original songs. And sometimes they're very weak. And these, these great songs are overlooked. It's a shame. Yeah. Well, we covered a lot of music here uh, across these episodes uh, because our conversation was quite substantive as I imagined it would be and all and for all the good reasons. So I think this was just a wonderful opportunity to revisit the Disney music, live action music song library for me in particular to check out a few songs for the first time and for our listeners to discover the beauty and significance of all the pieces that we mentioned. Let's uh, close it out. How can listeners find you on social media and if you can talk about Tollywood TV uh, briefly too. <laughs> well, thank you, Brett. I am on Twitter. I am on Instagram. And if you just search Jim Fanning, I'll come up. And then if you want to put in Disney, then I'll, re I'll really come up. Uh, and also on Facebook. So I'm pretty easy to find. But thank you for mentioning my YouTube channel because that's the one I would really like to emphasize. And that's Jim Fanning's Tolgiewood TV or, or any variation of. So if you're just searching YouTube, that should readily come up. And uh, my videos cover all kinds of subjects, mostly Disney, but there's other things as well. A lot of music but and records and such, but other things as well. And there's a new video every Tuesday. So um, there's a lot up already and more to come. So I do hope people will tune in and please remember to subscribe. Oh, yes. Always important uh, in any context. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed your February video on Winnie the Pooh merchandise, which is kind of distinct. And uh, yeah, there's always unique content on there. Jim, pleasure as always to have you on. Always great discussion and a lot for us to look up in the Disney archives, I imagine, even if we don't have physical access um, through through your insights, I feel like we have a, a greater taste of, of you know, the, the long and very rich legacy of the Walt Disney Company. So thank you again, as always. Thank you for having me. And I always love hearing your insights as well, Brett. So thank you very much. As you could probably tell, Jim and I had a fantastically fun time assembling our lists, sharing selections that ranged the gamut from the Muppets and Newsies to the Happiest Millionaire and Knobs and Broomsticks too. I thoroughly enjoyed this topic. I hope you did too. And I surely encourage you to check out Jim Fanning's work. He is the author of the Disney book, which was published by DK. Uh, many years ago, and he has the Tollywood TV YouTube channel that features a lot of fun content, as he mentioned. So thank you again, Jim, for coming on, and thank you to you, the listeners, for participating in this enjoyable journey. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. 
So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.